guided by the five corners. We are guided by the, oh, I'm gonna start over. I welcome everyone to our monthly National Peace Builder podcast. Tonight's call is being recorded and we are streaming on Facebook Live. You can listen to any of our podcasts by going to www.peacealliance.org and clicking on the Peace On podcast hyperlink. Our guest tonight is Dr. Vernon Garfield, author of the book Toward Cultural Intelligence. I will introduce him further in a moment. Do you want to wave, Dr. Garfield? Great. Um, our mission at the Peace Alliance is to empower civic action toward a culture of peace. We are guided by the five cornerstones of peace, community peace building, humanizing justice systems, fostering international peace, practicing peace in schools, and personal peace. The five cornerstones are endorsed in the blueprint for peace and signing the blueprint will notify your state and federal officials that you support policy priorities around peace building and violence reduction and you want those priorities reflected in legislation. If you go to peacealliance.org, click on educate and you can learn more about the five cornerstones. Click on advocate and you can sign the blueprint for peace. Uh, the five cornerstones of peace and the blueprint for peace support the vision and legislation for a US Department of Peace Building to be led by a cabinet level secretary of peace building. The goal of this department is to replicate and expand successful programs devoted to ending violence, resolving conflict, and creating and nurturing conditions for peace. And the idea for a Department of Peace has been alive in our country since the late 1700s and has been introduced into Congress multiple times over the last 200 years. And you can learn more about the Department of Peace Building by again going to peacelines.org and uh, click on advocate and uh, then click on campaign for U.S. Department of Peace Building and you can find out everything going on there and the Department of Peace Building has meetings the third Wednesday of every month. So uh, Kendra Mon uh, is uh, has been a supporter of the Department of Peace since 2005 and currently serves on the National Committee and as secretary of the Global Alliance for Ministries and Infrastructures for Peace. And she's gonna give us a brief update on the next Department of Peace Building action that you can get involved in. Over to you, Kendra. Thank you, Kathy. And when you talked about the pillars of peace that we advocate for, and we also educate ourselves about them, and that's what we're doing when we actually advocate for to legislators. We, we teach them what we've learned. And what we've learned is more about the foundations of peace. And when we started advocating with our members of Congress, they, they never heard of restorative justice. And I like to think that we helped them understand what restorative justice was all about. And that's what we're working on. And we're having our advocacy days in September and um, we'll be meeting with members of Congress virtually. And we're having a training on Saturday, August 20th at 9 p.m. Pacific time, noon, um, my time, Eastern time. 
And that will be a training for um, meeting with legislators. So I invite you to join us and find that registration, which is free, on the Peace Alliance calendar and click on that and that will lead you to registration. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Kendra. All right, I'm gonna introduce Dr. Garfield Vernon. Uh, you have one of those names where there's two first names or last names. So I've been saying Dr. Garfield and Dr. Vernon. So I'm gonna get Dr. Vernon right. Uh, Dr. Garfield Vernon is a Washington DC based author, administrator, researcher, speaker, world traveler, and the recipient of many professional and academic awards. Among his many roles, he has served at the United Nations and been vice president of an international nonprofit organization. He is an educator and trainer of educators, as well as a university lecturer who has presented before many world leaders. His book, Toward Cultural Intelligence, has been hailed for introducing exciting new concepts into the field of peace studies and cultural studies, such as cultural therapy, cultural shadows, cultural transcendence, and existential multiculturalism. Dr. Peter Lowndes, who is the co-founder of the Paul Freire Institute at UCLA, has commented about Dr. Vernon. Like his countryman, Bob Marley, Dr. Vernon combats despair with spiritual illumination and existential spark. A toward cultural intelligence traces Dr. Vernon's life experiences and shows how these experiences have shaped reflections on our present cultural situation and how a deeper awareness of our new digital environment and the application of psychotherapeutic techniques and existential perspectives may enhance world peace and provide fresh new solutions to the challenges facing the global community. And this book is our uh, book this month for the Peace Alliance Book Club. And uh, when I ordered this book, I read uh, the first half without putting it down. It's an easy read, very interesting. His life is interesting, so I highly recommend it. And Dr. Vernon defines cultural intelligence. The book is Toward Cultural Intelligence, a personal journey in new perspectives for achieving global peace. He defines cultural intelligence as the confluence of heart, soul, and mind. And he states cultural, he states culture begins at the dining table. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to you, Dr. Vernon. Thank you so much, Kathy. And uh, good evening, everyone. It's uh, such a pleasure to be with the Peace Alliance um, organization. I'm so humbled and may I just for a quick moment just extend courtesies uh, to Diane, the managing director, and to Kathy uh, for the great invitation and for working with Kathy over these past weeks in order to realize tonight's uh, session. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you so much, Kathy. And peace and blessings to the entire Peace Alliance organization. Thank you. And you're so right there, Kathy, when you stated that, you know, I did say that uh, peace or actually cultural harmony begins at uh, the dining table of uh, one's parents. And uh, truth be told, and appreciation uh, for diversity and cultural understanding actually starts there. And 
it is one's parents whose uh, lives or whose um, opinions help to shape you know, a child's own perspective of the world. Again, I, I am humbled and if I may say, I am blessed to have had conversations about diversity and not only me, there were three of us in my family. I have an older sister and I'm the second of the three and my brother is the youngest of the three of us. And I believe we were each blessed and collectively blessed, you know, to have had conversations about diversity, about appreciating those who are different, irrespective of skin color, irrespective of body type, facial structure, and you name it. And, and so that's my own starting point uh, in terms of my own immersion in understanding culture and cultural harmony, cultural cohesion. And so part one, you know, of my book traces my own journey, born, bred, raised in Jamaica, my early beginnings in Jamaica and into the wider Caribbean, to my experiences as a, a traveler, as a student of culture, and also to my days in the UN. And, and the early parts as well, importantly, you know, it gives my own impressions of of America. And I state in the book that America fascinates me as a student uh, of culture, because what student of culture is not simply bewitched by America as a cultural giant, as a cultural entity? What nation or which other nation on the planet spends more on peace than this great nation? of America, what nation is more open to diversity and yet still have been scarred by what we are now seeing as what you know, we call the hyperpolarization that is continuing to this um, very day. So the, the early part, the early chapters, it traces all of you know, my own impressions and my own personal journey. And from there, it, it, it segued into you know, part two of the book. But before I even move into the part two where I want to focus my own talk this evening is just to, again, uh, re-outline and even redefine my own understanding, how I framed cultural intelligence. And cultural intelligence for me is the interiority meeting with the exteriority. So it is, all the faculties of mind and heart and soul, every part, every fiber of our being working together to realize better versions of who we are as individuals and even wanting to articulate a better future for our world. So it is within that kind of framework that I have dubbed cultural intelligence, heart, mind, soul, and spirit working together for the good of society. And so coming through my own personal journey and reflecting on all these different experiences that I've had led me to part two of my book where I want to focus on tonight, as I just said, and in part two, 
I outlined three main, what I call conceptual uh, ideas upon which the, the, the book is, is built. And throughout you know, the book, I keep asking the question, what does peace mean? What fosters peace? And the answers vary. But again, I, I keep coming back throughout the chapters that peace is actually the harmony of cultures where people meet together with their own hearts and minds and soul. Again, cultural intelligence, where people meet, where all these faculties intersect uh, to, to, to realize uh, a more peaceful human uh, social coexistence and even a better world, a better future. And so my first main conceptual idea that I, I articulate is that of cultural shadows. And the current climate that led me to, to reflect accordingly as cultural shadows is, is, is what I have seen in terms of an online cultural fragmentation is what I term a mental self-segregation that mimics culture, but exaggerates and debases it. The relationships we form online are increasingly with people who think like us. So this is the culture, this is the environment in which we we find ourselves. And so I make the point throughout that the internet drives us into some very closed online cultural communities where users isolate and insulate themselves, experiencing the world and other cultures through a set of biased images rather than direct experiences. And so as people withdraw into such informational cocoons, what I call digital echo chambers, the only cultures they encounter are their own. And so the tendency of these online subcultures to radicalize is now well known. And in fact, the, the pandemic has only accelerated this digital self-segregation as people interact less and less with the real world and more and more with images passing across their screens. So I, I'm making the point throughout the book that in order to move towards greater levels and degrees of cohesion between people and groups, and cultures, we, there's an imperative uh, call or there is a strong call for us to, to address what I'm calling as this cultural shadows. Because cultures are no longer merely themselves. The cultures that we know, they're no longer themselves, but they are now accompanied by this cultural shadow, this online reflection which is not exactly the way we want to represent who we are as a, a people. And so this, what I call this distorted 
reflection seeps into and distorts the original underlying culture itself. And so the living culture begins to resemble what it only appears to be cultural shadows. An idea such as cultural shadows, I make the point throughout that existing research shows that being in an online kind of an environment, an echo chamber can make people quite gullible about accepting unverified information, but yet still it's an issue that we need to learn more about. And so I, I, I call um, others who are involved within this work throughout the book. And so I call upon computer scientists, social scientists, economists, journalists, industry partners, those of us within the peace field, in the cultural field, to, to, to come together to see how we can address this spread of misinformation that I frame is eroding culture. And, then to look at the kinds of implications that this culture of misinformation, this culture of online segregation and the power of mass media and how all of these are working together to somehow undermine and to, to mimic that which we would want to appreciate as our culture. And, and some of these issues we can uh, you know, talk further about when we get into the question and, uh, and answer section, but these then would have implications for those who are the, the movers and the drivers of, of, of mass media and, and the internet. And so I, I have this entire kinds of discussions throughout uh, the book in making the point that this issue of mimicking culture, this issue of cultural shadows, that it presents in essence a, a threat to the real cultures that we are trying to promote and therefore it needs our undivided attention to address the challenges that this kind of an echo chamber can present to our own global cultural existence. So that's cultural shadows. And the second main uh, conceptual idea that I advanced throughout is uh, cultural psychotherapy. And so throughout this articulation on cultural psychotherapy, I argue with Skinner, I argue with Freud, I argue with Marx, I argue with McLuhan, and at the end of it, I come to discover or to rediscover Carl Rogers, his own humanistic, psychological, therapeutic approach. According to Rogers, everyone exists in a world filled with experiences and it is those experiences that shape to a large degree our behaviors, how we think and how we view ourselves, others and, and the world. But, but let me pause here uh, because we may want to ask why then cultural uh, psychotherapy? And I, I, I make 
the, the point in the book that what is important, even as we are aiming at a global culture of peace, is to ensure that cultures themselves have been healed of what I, I call throughout the book, the, the collective historical traumas that have been beleaguering us since ancient times. And so cultures across the world have understood that human suffering can have deep psychological causes. And, and so throughout the book, I, I very gingerly touch on the, the Israeli-Palestinian context, even contexts such as the current Ukrainian situation with Russia and what's happening there. And yet in touching on those you know, two uh, scenarios that I just mentioned, I, I, I articulated even more as to how trauma, when, when, when trauma, collective historical trauma is not identified, is not addressed, and is not properly treated and dealt with, then irrespective of all the kinds of work that we might do, the signing of peace treaties, in essence, I made the point that those can be seen to some regards, maybe as, uh, as, as, as band-aids, if, if you were. But that whole cultural psychotherapy calls for getting beyond those kinds of more tangible, the peace treaties and these agreements that are signed between nation states and between cultures, and, and then being able to bring these cultures to a place of confronting themselves, a place of deep introspection and deep conversations, collective kinds of conversations. And so I advance the argument that important considerations should be given to the psychotherapeutic tools, tools that have been tested and are able to provide us, if they are so carefully and skillfully adopted, can in essence provide cultures that are dealing with deep-rooted and eternal kinds of challenges, the kinds of voices and healings that could help advance the peace dialogue wherever this might be of grave concern. And again, just like with cultural shadows, I, I make the point that a great deal of research and study needs to be done to distinguish the most effective kinds of therapeutic models that could be used on a wider scale. And so, as I mentioned earlier, in arguing with the main uh, psychotherapist uh, throughout. Uh, the majority of our kinds of work with uh, culturally different others are mainly at an individual level, but we're yet to, to, to find cultural therapeutic kinds of work being done with larger kinds of populations.
and even with the collective society. And so throughout uh, the book, I, I also so contend that this then presents a wonderful opportunity for those of us who are involved in this work of uh, peace to, to so conceptualize along with other kinds of disciplines, appropriate kinds of modalities that could be able to, to encourage different kinds of cultures to come together to sit at tables and to be able to work through some of the kinds of challenges that have beleaguered them throughout the ages. Cultural shadows, cultural psychotherapy. And so towards the end of the book, I lift up what I call an existential multiculturalism. And so others may say, what's this? existential multiculturalism all about. And so in that chapter, I, I delve a little bit with Immanuel Kant to whom we owe much of our modern heroic uh, reflections of saintly love. And, and so he brought this to the fore, Immanuel Kant brought this to the fore about this kind of divine kind of love, this kind of divine sense of being. In a sense, the acceptance that all the peoples of the earth share an inalienable dignity that defines their common humanity. And so I reflected throughout on, 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 on Kant and, and I, I, I made the conclusion that he in fact was bringing to the fore this source of affirmation that we are as human beings called upon to exemplify, to model this unconditional respect as it relates to the the dignity possessed by every human being. But in this existential multiculturalism is this sense of spark. And, and so I, 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 I moved from Kant over to Niebuhr. And so as you read this book, you'll find me wrestling with all these major uh, theorists, theologians, scholars throughout. Uh, or history. And, and so I, you know, I went over to Niebuhr and Niebuhr, uh, you know, he makes the interesting point about the spirit and the heart and, and the soul that, that we have to pay particular attention to every fiber of our being. And it is in that context of this coming together where the heart and the soul and the mind and it opened my eyes as I articulated further that this sense of existential multiculturalism has to recognize the beauty that lies in the heart, in the mind, in the soul, and in the spirit of individuals and within particular cultures uh, of the world. And, and, and in that own section, I, I make the point that spiritual and religious teachings belong as part of the global conversation on, on peace. 
because 80% of the world's population practices an established religion or a spiritual tradition. And with 80% of our population, the global population being so disposed, I made the point then therefore that a sense of spirituality that drives the religious kinds of conversations then has to be part of fashioning this global culture of peace that calls humanity to better ourselves and to better our world. And, and so just in sum, before we move to question and answer that uh, the book is built around these uh, three uh, main conceptual ideas, cultural shadows, cultural psychotherapy, and existential multiculturalism. And, and Diane and Kathy, I think I would want to pause here and then to, then to, to allow uh, for interaction to talk through uh, with this great audience some of these issues. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Vernon. Ah, so we're gonna open it up to questions. Anybody have a question or a comment they'd like to make? Just. Uh, Raise your uh, digital hand or your physical hand. Yes, Kendra, and then Nancy. I was wondering, it, it, it sounds to me like you built a huge foundation for peace by searching through all of these writers and um, specialists. I'm wondering where you come down or are you ready to come down on um, maybe truth and reconciliation commissions around the world and the bill that's in Congress by Barbara Lee to do that very thing in this country. Thank you so very much, Kendra, and such a very a great question. Thank you. And, and in fact, uh, bodies such as uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commissions would fall exactly within that work of the cultural psychotherapy. So that, that could be, and that's how I would see that, you know, to your question, that I would see bodies such as the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions as an extension of cultural psychotherapeutic works, because those kinds of commissions are aiming to provide the kinds of healing and to get at the truth and to get at an authentic uh, uh, position as it relates to the experiences of those who felt that they were wronged by those who were their perpetrators. So yes, I, I, I definitely, uh, would uh, would celebrate uh, the, the the work and the role of these kinds of bodies, and and we do have uh, very successful kinds of uh, TRCs, Truth Reconciliation Commissions, the TRCs, and 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 throughout the literature, uh, the South Africa Commission that was headed by then uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu throughout the entire scholarly literature, that commission that was. Um, done in South Africa provides a, a framework 
for a large part of the body of evidence um, from which other TRCs have been built uh, over the years. And not only the South African move, but also Canada itself also had uh, a, a great uh, go at the TRC with one of its indigenous populations when they had um, established a TRC, you know, so many years ago. So both with South Africa and also with Canada. And there are also other, other forms of TRCs that have proved successful, you know, throughout the years and throughout the literature. So yes. In short, I would want to say, yes, I would come down to say that I would support uh, the work of TRCs. And is there a place for TRC within the American culture? Yes. I, I think uh, when it comes on to moving towards healing and cultural advancement and, and providing the kinds of therapy, I believe that we should explore all the kinds of possibilities that there are. So again, thank you for that, Kendra. Kendra. Nancy, you want to go next? And then I have a question from Facebook I'll read. Okay. Um, well, you've addressed uh, some of this already. I was, I was going to ask you to elaborate on other, um, other types of therapeutic healing or what, what you had in mind when you said that. Right. Thank you for that, Nancy, for your question. So, so, so two things with that. And, and, and that was the, 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 the difficulty I, I had as I was writing this section in the book on the cultural psychotherapeutic models, because the bulk of what we have uh, in terms of therapy, all those kinds of models that we have are those that have been done on an individual basis or maybe with groups of individuals. But throughout the book, I, I wasn't focusing on individuals or even small groups. I was fo focusing on larger groups, populations. And so as I scoured the literature, I, I, I could not find any model that has been utilized on a wider scale with larger populations. And so therefore, throughout that, that's why throughout, and, and I think I mentioned that earlier, I, 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 I am calling on those of us who are within this work and others across disciplines to see if there's a way we could conceptualize, could we imagine what this could look like? Mm -hmm. The same kinds of work when an individual sits inside the, the, the room of a therapist, how could we imagine this taking place with wider populations? So throughout the book, I never had any direct answers to that per se, more than to say, that I believe it's an idea that is worth exploring between all these different kinds of groups that have experienced historical trauma. And so I'm calling on all hands on deck to see if we could be able then to conceptualize what this in essence would, would look like. But again, to go back to Kendra's question, I think the TRCs, the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions, that those provide an interesting aspect you know, to this same kind of work that a therapeutic model would aim for. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you very much. All right, I'm, I'm gonna read a, a couple of questions from Facebook. Um, this person wants to know how can we avoid a war with China and what do you recommend we do and say to end the wars, like, for example, Ukraine, uh, Yemen? Uh, those are, those are, uh, are, are, are interesting questions. And, and 
and let me say that based on the, the model that I'm presenting in terms of the, the cultural shadows, the cultural psychotherapy, and the existential multiculturalism, in essence, it's, it's, it's a preventative work to help to thwart future kinds of uh, global um, crises. So, so the, 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 war, the war is based on how I've written the book. So those are already existing. And you know, our hearts are moved by people who are being displaced, people who are being affected by the war in Ukraine and other kinds of global crises. But where I come from in the book, I'm making the point that if we give particular attention to this cultural shadows, this online echo chamber, so that we can challenge our global community in terms of how we exist and navigate through these cultural online communities that that in and of itself can help us in terms of how we're able to deal and to treat with culturally different others. Mm -hmm. And for those who are experiencing some of these challenges today, uh, Ukrainian nationals and even others who are on the other side, um, those who are perpetuating, you know, the aggression. I'm making the point here that in order to prevent or to stemmy or to decrease or to negate some of the, the historical trauma, that maybe these uh, populations that are currently experiencing, you know, the crisis there in, in Ukraine, that they might need to to experience what I'm calling this collective psychotherapeutic kinds of intervention to ensure that they do not carry, you know, these same kinds of trauma and pain and anguish even into the future. And then with the existential multiculturalism that even irrespective of the, the, the experiences that we have had, it still um, behooves us as I'm calling with this existential multiculturalism to see if any at all we can be able to identify the dignity in every human being. And so if we're able to identify and to celebrate the dignity of each human being, then that then I'm saying would, would then help us to, to lessen the temperature in terms of how we view the culturally different other. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank uh, Deanne you. and then Preston. Uh, thank you, Dr. Vernon. You were, you were talking about um, cultural shadows. And um, I wondered if you had any deeper reflections on the role of truth uh, in processing cultural differences where we're, especially in this country, living in a time where um, truth feels slippery uh, and hard to grasp and hold on to. So I, I just wondered if, if you could go a little deeper in talking about how that relates to uncovering those cultural shadows and actually dealing with them. Right. So thank you so much, Diane, for your, for, for your question. And so uh, I think uh, part of what needs to, 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 to be done uh, and, you know, and, and here and, you know, the verdict might be out is that as it relates to mass media, as it relates to the Internet and to how these kinds of environments operate, I believe that we might need to reduce uh, companies, uh, you know, dependence on, you know, on, 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 on advertising. Uh, 
So I'm talking about those who are the owners of these uh, social media houses where we find these echo chambers and these cocoons and these radicalized kinds of environment. Uh, so, so as long as these kinds of owners of these uh, media groups and media um, houses, uh, I believe are dependent on at sales, I believe they will be forced to hold uh, users' attention as long as possibly in giving these kinds of misinformation. So first I'm saying, Diane, that it then behooves these owners. It, 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 it then has then to be a kind of political will that would have to, to involve you know, uh, governmental political kinds of uh, architects to be able to challenge these kinds of owners of these um, houses, media houses, uh, in terms of lessen their reliance on, you, uh, on pushing revenue through ads. Because I believe based on my read and through my own anecdotal, and I make mention of this throughout the book, that once there is that deep reliance on these kinds of ads to fuel these kinds of social media sites, then people, would would continue to 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 be wanting these kinds of information rather than truth, but rather information that is news your news work you know grabbing attention you know and, and and appealing to the you know the lower nature of who we are as a people. So that's one. I, I believe too that for those of us, it's a long shot for those of us who are in this work that we believe uh, in, in truth and believe in presenting news that are worthy, that we have to continually challenge those who are working maybe in traditional media as well, uh, that uh, recognizing that what we communicate has direct impact on, on, on the peace temperature within the globe and within existing communities and culture. So those who, not only social media, but those that are operating and acting within traditional media, they themselves um, have a responsibility. And so we then would have to challenge those who too are working within traditional media in terms of how the news um, are, you know, are presented that and how information are crafted and presented. The creation of information um, bubbles and, and this would take our own ingenuity for those who are on the side of truth as well. Then we uh, ourselves, I believe, have to uh, create the kinds of newsworthy kinds of uh, platforms where persons uh, you know, can have confidence that there are also very credible news that are not on the side of any other, but are just on the side of wanting to present that which is noble, that which is true, and that which is credible. So uh, I know there may be other questions, but those yeah. are three things I believe that we can, uh, we can employ. Thank you. Thank you so much, Diane. Uh, Preston, did you have a question? Hello, Preston. Hello, thank you so much. Yes, um, you. as you were going through your literature review for your book, um, I was curious what, um, as we're talking about this collective psychotherapy, I was curious what uh, elements maybe you drew from Susan Allen Nan's work on third culture building, 
And secondly, also with um, particularly the Iroquois Confederacy and their legend of the peacemaker of how they actually applied um, the elements that you spoke about within uh, their culture widely uh, a thousand years ago. I was curious how you took that. You're asking how would I take those on board to, to or, advise? Or more, more specifically, did, did you go over those for the book itself and kind of incorporate oh. that? Or was that something that's kind of out of your uh, literature review? Right. So, 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 yes, to be honest, so those are outside of the... the okay, the, the I was just curious. Okay, sure. No, so I, I, I wrestled mainly with the, the founders or those main founders in terms of um, the therapeutic models that have evolved over okay. the years. And I'm not sure if you were on, but in the onset, I mentioned where I wrestled with Marx, where I wrestled with Skinner, wrestled with yes. Floyd, wrestled with McLuhan. And, and then I ended up at Carl Rogers and his own humanistic uh, therapeutic model and intervention. So that's where I, I went in terms of the literature and settled on his uh, methodology where, you know, according to Rogers, you know, there are three core tenets in terms of um, therapy congruence, which is authenticity. So therefore wanting to ensure that those who are aiming for healing, that they're being provided an authentic experience for them to share openly and freely about their experience. Mm -hmm. And so not only the authenticity, but also the, the unconditional uh, awareness that Roger says that that has to be present when people are wanting to heal and to share that there is an unconditional acceptance of whatever information they might mm -hmm. bring to the table. And not only the, 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 the authenticity and the unconditional information that they might bring, but also accurate, as Rogers put it, accurate, empathetic understanding. So that's where I went, uh, you know, having uh, combed the literature with these main persons present, that's where I ended up and spending a lot of my time exploring Rogers alongside his three core tenets that I just outlined, the authenticity, the unconditional mm -hmm. acceptance, and the, the, the empathetic understanding, and to see how those could play a part in terms of us trying to build a kind of a model that could appeal to a collective group in ensuring that groups have an opportunity to achieve healing from challenges and trauma. Yeah. So, that's where, so that's where my literature went rather than, you know, the, the, where, what you were describing earlier. Yes, I was just speaking about the peace literature itself and how they are actually, um, whether that's through the indigenous model um, with the Iroquois Confederacy, or whether that was through the more recent Susan Allen Ann's third, third culture building, where she talks a lot about your stuff. I, I was just seeing whether we did that, and you, you answered very well. Thank you. Thank you, Preston, for your question. Thank you. Um, yes, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thank you very much for your work, Garfield. Um, thank you. Thank you. I have a kind of a practical question. Um, I really like the whole notion of cultural psychotherapy. And I've been working toward a project that I think might bring people together 
in restaurants, and I've been calling it the conversation zones. And what I'm wanting to do is to see if you have any practical ideas about how I can implement this. <clears throat> Excuse me, this is uh, when you come into a restaurant, the hostess will say, would you like to sit at a private table or in a conversation zone where someone may join you for your meal? And then they can give you a little card with, you know, fundamentals, treat everyone with respect. And then everyone could have a place to go to have dinner with somebody or have lunch. And I've gotten good support from the Restaurant Association, from tourism. And I got to a restaurant that was going to do it. But then he thought that conversation zones meant that he had to cordon off a, a large part of the restaurant, which is the opposite. Because uh, with this, you could, <clears throat> you could make every single seat completely filled it would increase the seating capacity there by the bottom line. So my question to you is, do you have any ideas about who I could talk to about this or how I could implement this? Yeah. Thank you for that question, Jenny. And, you know, I, I was so pleased. Uh, and this is the kind of a conceptualization that, that I'm, I'm loving, such a, such, such, such a brilliant, uh, you know, idea there, Jenny, I, I, I applaud that. But to your question, to whom you could speak, possibly you could work through the, the, the different embassies uh, that, that, that you have. So I'm not sure where you're located. For, I'm in Washington, DC. I'm in Victoria, British Columbia on the West oh, Coast. Oh, okay, you're in British Columbia. Okay, great. Uh, uh, so, okay, that, that's where on, on the West Coast. But, but let, let me just use that, which I was saying, and then we could see maybe how possible this could be. So uh, when, I, when I heard you first mention, I'd say, oh, that would be a wonderful, um, especially for those of us here in DC, we have all the embassies here uh, in, 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 in DC. And, 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 and so we could, this conversation zone, that could be, uh, we have the Organization of American States. That's another um, avenue as well where, uh, the conversations could um, exist in those, you know, kinds of places. They, 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 they are through the embassies. Uh, they, they could provide a, a, I believe, a number of, 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 of the businesses that, that say, say, for example, you know, I'm from Jamaica, you know, so here in Jamaica, I believe the Jamaican embassy, for example, would know of all the Jamaican businesses and restaurants that are throughout the US and say particularly here in DC. Uh, that then could be an opportunity where I'm saying that to, to liaise with the restaurants and they themselves, um, you know, through the, the, the embassies, uh, they, th that could become, you know, platform where, where, where the kinds of conversations could take place uh, with culturally different others. Um, say I decide to go into a Japanese restaurant, um, for, um, for, for example, uh, maybe one of the question you know, could be asked um, then, would you be open, 
say I go to a restaurant, Garfield, you know, they say, welcome to me. I say, hi, I'm, I'm Garfield. I have a, a reservation. I could be asked, are you open Garfield to going to, you know, to sitting in an open area where there is a kind of a conversation going on. So that could become an option item, you know, for persons who go to um, culturally different kinds of restaurants to, um, um, to eat. So I, I, I'm saying again, just in some, um, Jenny, working through uh, the different um, embassies. I'm not sure what, you know, groups might be present where you're at. What's the nearest kind of is, you know, center that might be, be around. There might be different kinds of national societies and organizations where you're at. And so you could even work through those kinds of civic, national, uh, cultural kinds of organizations where you're at. You know, say you don't have the embassies as we have here in DC. Right. You know, would you, at Gar Garfield, would you be interested in contacting some of the embassies in DC and seeing if they're interested? Yes, yes, or maybe. And so, yeah. and so, sure. So, yeah. you, certainly, yes. certainly. Maybe you can provide your email if you want people to contact you. And there's also three ideas in the chat for you, Jenny. Um, and oh. so, let's go ahead and wrap this up. We have just a few minutes left. Ideas in the chat. Yes. Oh. Yeah. You see them? Wonderful. Thank you. Great. Okay. All right. So I'm going to start winding down the call. Thank you, Dr. Vernon, for this Thank conversation. So much more we could ask, but we do. We have to shut it off somewhere, right? Yes, please. Okay, so uh, thank you all for joining the call tonight. To find out more about our programs, you can go to our calendar at peacealliance.org and click on the calendar. We send one email a week on Mondays to let you know about the upcoming events for that week. And if you love and benefit from the programs we offer, please consider donating. We currently have a goal of raising $20,000 and enrolling 22 monthly donors. And you can go again to peacealliance.org in the top right-hand corner next, next to the calendar, you'll see the, the donation button. And if you miss any of our calls, you can listen to them on our Peace On podcast. Uh, and again, peacealliance.org, click on Peace On podcast at the top. Uh, share your Facebook page with, with your friends, like us on Facebook. If you have not already done that, just search for the Peace Alliance when you're looking for us on Facebook. So, um, I guess we're done. Um, it's so hard to, to say goodbye. <laughs> this has been great, Dr. Vernon. I was speaking with Dr. Vernon on Saturday, and we spoke for about 30 minutes, and it felt like five. So, um, it's been very interesting to get to know you and read your book. And I'm so grateful that you decided to join us tonight. So thank you very much. Blessings and peace and your loved ones. Just a quick reminder to everyone, we will be discussing Dr. Vernon's book um, in a little more detail, uh, August 23rd for our Consciousness Raising Book Club. So you can go to our calendar to get all the links for that and, and we'll be able to stretch this conversation out a little bit. So thank you, Dr. Vernon. Thank you again, Deanne. Thank you, Kathy, yeah. and to everyone. Thank you so much. Yeah. Dr. Vernon, do you want to stay on just for just a minute so I can say, Deanna, I can say a proper goodbye to you? Sure thing. Okay. Thank you so very much. Thank uh, hold on one second.
Thank you for joining us today at Peace On. We hope that it inspires you to engage in dialogue in your larger community. Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance found at peacealliance.org.